This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. Okay, we'll figure this out. So, back to our supporters. Blue Star Gas provides propane and gas appliances throughout throughout Southern Humboldt, Northern Mendocino, and Trinity Counties. Locally owned and independent since 1938. Okay. Sorry about that. Support for Redwood Community Radio also comes in part from the Security Store Incorporated in the Meadows Business Park in Redway, featuring watershed dry bags and Pelican cases in many sizes. Both have lifetime warranties and have been tested over time in Humboldt County. The Security Store, solutions for your security needs, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, 923-2363. It's 7.01. This is Redwood Community Radio, KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM, and KMUE Eureka Arcata, 88.3 FM, KLAI Laytonville, 90.3 FM, and FM Translator, K258 Baker, Quebec, Shelter Cove, 99.5, and on the web, live and archived at kmud.org. And the views and opinions expressed throughout the KMUD broadcast day are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of the station, its staff, or underwriters, or engineers. Time will be made available for other viewpoints. Thank you for joining us. And support for KMUD and our talk show, Ask Your Herb Doctor, comes in part from Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup, an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antioxidant, antibacterial medicine made without heat or ice. Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup is organic, edible, topical, cosmetic, and water-soluble. Information available at goldendragonmedicinalsyrup at gmail.com and by phone at 707-223-1569. And here we have Ask Your Herb Doctor.
Well, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. For those of you who perhaps have never listened to our shows, which run every third Friday of the month from 7 till 8 p.m., we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. Uh, we run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and we recommend herbal medicine and dietary advice. So, um, this month we are going to have Dr. Pete on the show to talk about various different subjects. <laughs> okay, I got a message for Kevin Peer. Kevin Peer, call back in because your call has been dropped here somehow. So, um, we were going to bring uh, Kevin Peer in uh, who's uh, studied hypnotherapy and is going to open up a Lyme disease forum uh, in Garberville and the Humboldt area for people to contact him. So we were going to get Kevin on the show here for the first five, ten minutes. And then Dr. Pete uh, was uh, going to join us again. We're very lucky to have him back again. So we're going to be talking about hair loss, folks. So the guys out there uh, who may or may not be bothered about hair loss, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty common, but there is, there is some answer for it. So Dr. Pete um, has got some uh, good, good advice, good suggestions, backed up by science. Uh, it's a very much a hormone-based approach. Uh, we're going to talk about inflammation, uh, osteoporosis, uh, amongst other things. So after the uh, discussion um, with Kevin on the Lyme Forum happening in Humboldt County here, Dr. Pete will be joining us here in five uh, or ten minutes at the most. So, um, Kevin, do we have Kevin with us on the line? We don't have Kevin on the line. Okay, well. Kevin, please call in or hang up your phone because I'm trying to call you and your phone is busy. Okay, well, um, perhaps if we don't get Kevin calling here in the next couple of seconds, uh, we should get Dr. Pete straight in here and uh, go through it uh, with Dr. Pete. So I don't know what we want to do. Do we want to switch to Dr. Pete now or do we want to try to get Kevin I think are frantically, frantically working in the studio, and I think they've got Kevin on the line. So uh, in a few seconds here, we'll switch over to Kevin and uh, let Kevin talk about what it is he's doing. I think we have Kevin on the line. Are you there, Kevin? Kevin, you there? Well, I think he might have been there. I do hear a different humming sound yeah, now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the line looks like it's open. I'm not hearing anybody coming over. Kevin, are you there? Here, I'll try him on this line. Are you there now? Well, Kevin, please try calling in again. Something's not working. Whoops, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, for whatever... Oh, okay, I think maybe maybe now we've finally done it. Hello? Hey, Kevin. Okay, I'm sorry that for some reason there we, uh, we managed to lose you. Um, okay, so I've uh, mentioned uh, briefly what it is that you're doing. Uh, do I understand correctly that you are going to... Um, create a Lyme support group and I don't want to rush you Kevin but we're already seven minutes into the show so um, you want to do a, a Lyme support group is that correct? That is correct. Okay and that will be for Humboldt County or all around? It'll be for all around. Uh, it's going to take place at, the, uh, at my office 
at the AEE building right across there from KMUD. Okay. So and that's here um, in Redway? That's there in Redway. So what was the purpose of the uh, Lyme support group then, briefly? Well, the, the, the purpose is to give people an opportunity to be able to meet with other people who are in the same boat, so to speak, who are dealing with Lyme disease and dealing with the challenges and the mysteries of that. Um, one thing that I could consistently hear from people, and I certainly experienced myself, when I was really in the throes of Lyme disease, is that a lot of people who don't have Lyme disease don't really want to hear about it. They're kind of confused about it. They're not sure whether the person is being a hypochondriac or not because a lot of them, the symptoms are very mysterious and very perplexing, and they change from day to day. And so one thing that I have consistently heard from people who know that I know something about Lyme disease uh, is, God, it would be great to have a place where you know I can come and, and talk about this and nobody's going to think I'm crazy. Okay, how how are you going to advertise it, or is uh... well, Christina Baus did a wonderful article in uh, this uh, this week's issue of the Independent, our fine Garberville newspaper. Okay, uh, it'll be also advertised as a uh, you know announcements through um, the uh, through KMUD there, and then. Uh, this, this interview, it'll be on the community calendar, KMUD, as it gets closer to the date. August 3rd, Wednesday, August 3rd, will be the first meeting. And for people who are interested in taking part in this, they should give me a call so yeah. that I can get a sense of what they're, what they're wanting to experience in the group and what their needs are. Okay, well, make sure, let people know now how best to contact you and then what it is, just mention again what it is that you're going to do to advertise the fact so that people can, after today, um, either contact you or wait to hear other information from you. Yeah, well, my phone number is 986-7469. They can also contact me through my email, which is kevin at com. And that's com. all spelt properly, yes. in case our listeners couldn't hear that. And, Kevin, I wanted to ask, what can participants expect, um, besides what you've already mentioned in the fact of expressing their different symptoms that they're experiencing, what other things can participants expect if they um, come to this Lyme support group? Yeah, well, it would be kind of a combination of, um, you know, just being a, a, a listening platform for people to share experiences. Uh, it'll be a, a place where they can gain information uh, myself and other people, guest speakers, will be coming in to present uh, information on some of the latest treatment modalities for Lyme disease, both uh, in the realm of conventional medicine and also alternative medicine. Um, we'll be talking about things like just just some of the other ways that Lyme disease affects, uh, you know, various organ systems, hormones, what you need to be thinking of in terms of diet, you know, just basically how to untangle the puzzle that is really presented when, when Lyme disease really gets entrenched in your body. Will um, you be di um, discussing how hypnotherapy can help Lyme's disease? Well, during the last 20 minutes or so of each uh, meeting, I'm going to offer a um, kind of an in-depth, very relaxing, uh, guided healing meditation that will be geared around uh, helping to activate um, the immune system so that, you know, you can be using your body, mind, spirit all together 
in um, in dealing with the challenge of, of Lyme disease. Uh, are you? I guess a, uh, a very quick last question here. Are you going to be charging for this? There'll be a nominal fee, probably like five dollars. Okay. Uh, nominal fee. Nobody will be turned away for financial reasons, and the five dollars will just be basically going towards, you know, helping to defray the cost of gas because I'll be driving an hour each way, you know, to uh, to do the to do the group. Okay. So you said that you were going to do some public service announcements on this. Yeah, so I mean, basically whatever KMUD will allow me to yeah. do. Okay. So there'll be some community calendar um, <coughs> announcements. Uh, I'll be advertising um, through their classified section. You know, they'll be making classified ad announcements. Um, or no, no, not classified ad. What is it? Uh, uh, with their community calendar. Public public service announcement, I think. Well, public service announcement apparently is for nonprofit non organizations, yeah. Yeah. so it won't it won't be through that. But I'll, I'll right. be getting the word out. There'll be also in the community calendar uh, in the Independent uh, newspaper uh, that'll be coming up, you know, the week beforehand as well. Okay. Okay. Just to reiterate your number, it's nine eight six seven four six nine for our listeners tonight, and that's Kevin Peer. Yeah, and Kevin at Inner Alliance Counseling. Com. Right, that's right. Kevin at InnerAllianceCounseling.com. Well, thank you, Kevin, for your time tonight to discuss this and talk to us about this. And Sorry, we got off to a slow start. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Thanks for having me on board here for a few minutes. Yeah, no problem. Okay, okay. Kevin, thank you. All right, bye-bye. Okay, well, uh, we should have Dr. Pete on the line next. So, Dr. Pete, you with us? Yes. Hi, good evening. Hi. Um, again, uh, there may be some people who have just tuned in uh, this evening for the first time to this show and, and the first time of uh, hearing your name. So uh, just for those people that are always around, would you please just let people know uh, about your academic background? Okay. Um, I studied uh, biology at the University of Oregon, specializing in physiology, especially reproductive physiology. Um, and uh, quite a bit of biochemistry, but I considered myself an old-fashioned biologist, uh, pre-molecular biology in my way of thinking. Okay. So mainly mainly uh, biology, because I know that you've uh, spent quite a lot of time looking at hormones as a... Uh, uh, a, a, a mode, mode of activating our own body's uh, mechanisms. Yeah, my dissertation was on uh, the um, effects of hormones on oxidative metabolism in relation to aging of the reproductive system. Right. Okay, good. Well, I know that the people that I've mentioned at the beginning of the show here, we'll be talking about, amongst other things, um, hair loss and the mechanism behind hair loss. I think some of the guys that are listening to the show probably have more interest in this than the women, but that's not to say that some women may not have uh, some ears pricked at the uh, sound of hair. Um, hair growth, I think, and that's also something that we're going to cover. There's, I know that there is a small subsection of females who do develop uh, what they call hirsutism, um, and it's certainly hormone-driven. And uh, we'd certainly be very keen to hear what your 
take on hair loss perhaps as a starting point for the for the guys would be the the kind of mechanism behind it how do you understand hair loss because i know they mentioned male pattern baldness and genetics etc as being entrenched in uh, the impossible to deal with and i know that the uh, cosmetic surgery <laughs> people do things like hair transplants for thousands and thousands but and i also know that the head of the dermatology uh, department in whips cross hospital in london when we were training he um, was completely convinced that male uh, pattern baldness was caused by a sensitivity to testosterone or the DHT, the more potent form of testosterone. So, Dr. Pete, how can you explain to our listeners and us tonight why males develop a male pattern baldness, and is it due to testosterone? Um, I think the, the belief in testosterone as the cause is similar to uh, the old belief that uh, males got prostate cancer because of having testosterone. Uh, since males get a particular kind of baldness, uh, it's easy to blame it on testosterone. But uh, in fact, there's there's no evidence showing that uh, excess testosterone is responsible for it any more than uh, excess testosterone causes prostate cancer. And so that's where the idea of increased sensitivity came in because there was no evidence of uh, too much of the hormone. Right. But he he said he did say that when they measured the blood levels of men with lots of hair and men with no hair at all on their head, the, the levels of testosterone were not important. So the best they could come up with is that their cells had a sensitivity to testosterone. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that, that sort of fills in for a <laughs> lack of evidence. When you look at the actual hormone situation of people with lots of hair on their head and with, with not much, uh, what you see is an excess of prolactin and cortisol in the people losing their hair, both men and women. And uh, when you look at the effect of testosterone on the growth of the hair shaft, uh, the higher testosterone makes it grow uh, thicker and faster. And prolactin uh, tends to cause it to fall out. In chickens it's, and other birds, it's known as the molting hormone. Uh, it, it's, um, in humans, it's uh, the milk-producing uh, hormone largely, but it also regulates practically every other cell in the body. And it, it has that analogous function of uh, terminating the growth cycle of the, of the hair shaft, and uh, cortisol and prolactin both rise during stress, and uh, there, for a long time, people have been noticing uh, the um, association of baldness with heart disease and also with a, a crease in the earlobe, and uh, both of those have been challenged repeatedly, but there is clear evidence that they they are associated uh, uh, the and what links those is also connected to prolactin and uh, high cortisol uh, which is uh, the uh, low energy production uh, a thyroid deficiency tendency uh, letting the uh, metabolism of cholesterol uh, go down more towards increased cortisol and less towards uh, pro progesterone 
and testosterone and uh, DHEA, things that do promote hair growth. So if um, men who are suffering from baldness were to have their blood levels checked, could do you think they would see a higher than normal level of prolactin in their blood? Although we didn't well, need to talk about the levels of prolactin as far as the yeah, labs are it, concerned. It for sure wouldn't be likely to be higher than normal on the current lab standards for normal because uh, they've increased the upper edge uh, probably because of so much exposure of the population to estrogens, uh, which estrogen increases the production of prolactin. And estrogen itself terminates the uh, growth of hair. So, But didn't you say that in, when they did actual studies for prolactin or pituitary tumors or prolact, uh, tumors in which prolactin was elevated, they found like an ideal range for a female and a male? Maybe we can discuss those? Yeah, yeah. Uh, back in the 70s, after the um, wave of pituitary tumors resulting from the high estrogen birth control pills, uh, they found that the the healthy range for women on the standard uh, scale of units was around 12, uh, somewhere maybe as high as 15, and for men was about 4 to 7. And uh, they've now ranged, uh, raised the upper limit uh, for men to, sometimes they say it's as high as 20 and for women as high as 30. But uh, all the men I've talked to who had close to 20, even though they were said to uh, be normal, they all had uh, developing breasts, gynecomastia. Mm -hmm. yeah. So they obviously had, uh, at 20, it was might have been within the normal range that that laboratory Stated, but if they're developing breasts, then they obviously have far too much prolactin for a man to have. Yeah, and uh, fertility is best when a, a man has uh, four to seven. Just, just getting back to uh, developing breasts, I'm, the term is gynecomastia, correct? And in um, beer drinkers, excessive what? Not excessive, but drinkers of beer that drink very hoppy beer, so beer that has an extra infusion of hops. Uh, gynecomastia is not an uncommon sight. I know in some British pubs, <laughs> maybe <laughs> where people are drinking lots of hoppy beer in the southeast, I know they grow hops still quite uh, in quite large amounts. It's not only the phytoestrogens from uh -huh. the hops, but the yeast that uh, all of the alcoholic drinks require. <clears throat> the yeast produces estradiol, the right. powerful human hormone, right. has their own reproductive mm -hmm. hormone. Uh, interestingly enough, hop extract is the latest miticide for the bee industry. The brand new thing is called hop guard, and somehow it kills mites but not bees. Hmm. Huh. I wonder if what that is, if there's a anti-parasitic compound besides the estrogenic resin that's in hops. Well, and also hops pickers are known, uh, are notoriously... The female hop pickers. Yeah, are notoriously yeah. known to stop menstruating because it's such a high level of hormone that they get exposed to through their skin, and that's a similar situation we have in Humboldt County with people being exposed to clipping and having the resin go through their skin because hops and cannabis are in the same plant family. Mm -hmm. And uh, both of those hormones in beer and uh, uh, less uh, in most of the wines, but alcoholic drinks in general, uh, with the estrogen from the yeast at least, will stimulate uh, the adrenals to uh, 
to produce both estrogen and cortisol. Uh, and all kinds of estrogen increase the cortisol exposure. And so the cortisol makes the uh, big belly right. and the uh, estrogens, uh, among other things, contribute to the breast growth. Now, what about, uh, I know I'm diverging a little bit um, on the, uh, some of the subjects I wanted to ask you questions about this evening, but it's coming from the same kind of route. What about the oral contraceptive pill and its massive uh, uh, e e exposure, if you like, to the public through urine uh, and, you know, regular drinking water, given that so many women are on the OCP? Do you think that that's a credible uh, source of estrogens in the environment? Oh, oh sure. It, yeah. It's, um you can identify the specific type of estrogen and progestin from the fields uh, going right through the uh, sewer uh, processing plants mm -hmm. right into the rivers mm -hmm. and causing uh, fish, uh, the, uh, muskrats, anything that lives in the rivers uh, getting the sewage from cities, uh, they're being feminized. Yeah. Is there any type of filter that takes out those estrogenic compounds that could be coming from urine um, of females using the oral contraceptive pill? Um, no, nothing practical that's in use. Yeah. So nothing like carbon, uh, yeah. Activated carbon. Well, yeah, if you're going to drink the water, you should run it over activated carbon. But, I mean, wouldn't activated carbon be a fairly cheap way for sewage plants to process uh, water? I guess maybe not. No. No, okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, the um, uh, ozone is uh, probably the cheapest, best thing because it breaks down chemicals like that. I, yeah. I think Paris has been doing that for 40 years or so. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's, uh, let me just let listeners know uh, what, we're, what we're all about here. Um, we've got uh, Dr. Raymond Pete uh, on the line with us, joining us live on this month's Ask Your Web Doctor. Uh, the number here to call from about 7.30 onwards is 923-3911, or if you live outside the area, you want to call an 800 number, that's 800-568-3723. Um, Dr. Pete, um, about the connection between um, hair loss... And the hormones, you mentioned cortisol uh, and prolactin being two hormones that um, would yeah, decrease hair growth. And these are stress hormones, correct? Um, yeah, they, they go up with stress in different proportions. The, the classical stress hormone is cortisol, but um, prolactin responds to different kinds of stress. Uh, for example, anything that blocks your thyroid function and energy production uh, tends to increase prolactin at the same time it increases the thyroid stimulating hormone. Mm -hmm. Those are both turned on by serotonin. Okay. I, I know I've heard you speak many times about um, the uh, innate energy level within an organism being responsible for keeping it in a state of good health and cellular repair and regeneration. And I know um, you, you mentioned a lot thyroid as being the body's natural hormone of energy uh, and driving cellular respiration and repair and etc. The, the, uh, the link between cortisol as a stress hormone and prolactin with hair loss and the opposing hormone, which I know also you're very, very well yeah, published about, uh, is progesterone. And um, to yeah, when when your thyroid is low or other 
uh, factors such as cholesterol, if cholesterol is below average, and if you're deficient in vitamin A, uh, then you can't efficiently turn cholesterol into progesterone and the other anti-stress hormones. And the emergency anti-stress hormone is cortisol. Uh, so when you, if, if you lower your uh, cholesterol with a drug, uh, that's going to force you to increase reliance on, on a cortisol. Mm -hmm. And uh, that will have uh, all the, the degenerative effects, including uh, interference with hair growth. Right. And this is some of the reason why the, uh, lipid, the uh, statin drugs, uh, some of which have been recalled uh, because of degenerative effects. That... Yeah. Uh, the, the thing that has got the most attention is breakdown of, of muscle tissue, mm -hmm. causing bleeding in the urine and pain, pain in the muscles. But um, it's, it's that when you poison the production of cholesterol, you're also poisoning uh, the uh, coenzyme Q10 and uh, many other uh, metabolic systems as well as cholesterol. Right. Because I know you've mentioned a lot about cholesterol being the good guy, and it's uh, it's kind of counter <laughs> counterintuitive or counter counter <laughs> brainwashing. I think for some for some uh, some sections of society would want to tell us that our cholesterol should be a certain certain level. And um, I know you're an advocate of having a reasonably a reasonably good level of cholesterol because it's such an important building block for the uh, steroid hormone production. Um, yeah, the Framingham study at one point found that um, people over 50 who don't have at least a 200 milligram uh, percent of uh, cholesterol mm -hmm. uh, are much more likely to develop Alzheimer's disease. Uh, it's brain protective to have uh, over 200 uh, if uh, other things being equal. Mm -hmm. If you're over the age of 50, right? Yeah. Uh, and thyroid will lower cholesterol naturally, but it uh, does it by uh, producing more of the protective hormones, progesterone, pregnenolone, and DHEA. So it uses up the cholesterol to manufacture those hormones. Yeah, yeah. and so if you naturally have a, a below 200 uh, cholesterol because your thyroid is good uh, and all of your nutrients are adequate, uh, then that's fine. So can we talk about some practical applications of what some um, people could go buy at the health food store and rub on their head to help the hair grow back, well, Dr. Pete? <laughs> well, okay, here we go. Here we go, guys. Uh, vitamin D happens to um, be closely involved in uh, hair development. Uh, calcium, getting enough calcium in your diet. How, how does the vitamin D work, Dr. Pete? Uh, well, the, it, they call it the vitamin D receptor, but it's it's a regulatory uh, material in practically every cell in the body, bones and hair both. And uh, the uh, receptor itself, even without the vitamin D, is, is involved in uh, regenerating, making stem cells that will uh, produce new hairs. And uh, a couple of groups have uh, discovered that if you inhibit the parathyroid hormone, uh, you can increase hair growth. Uh, the natural inhibitors of the parathyroid hormone uh, are vitamin D and calcium are the, are the main ones. Parathyroid's uh, an inflammatory 
Uh, yeah, yeah, it um, it turns on. Well, it interrupts the use of oxygen, so it's really kind of a paradigm of an antithyroid function. Uh, thyroid makes you able to use oxygen, and a parathyroid hormone uh, can do some useful things, such as uh, shocking your bones into uh, uh, producing more cartilage uh, stem cells and capillaries simply by uh, interfering with oxygen production. Uh, for a moment, it'll, that shock of oxygen deprivation stimulates a regenerative process, but if you keep your parathyroid hormone up continuously, then you destroy the bone because it doesn't have enough energy to go ahead and build bone. Okay. So it's like a stress hormone. If for it, the immediate or the very short term, like cortisol, you're, it uses, it mobilizes nutrients, it helps you get through that stressful period, but in long term, it's very detrimental. Yeah, it's the same principle uh, where you get a shock of parathyroid hormone that starts up the bone growth. It's similar to um, what happens with an injury. Uh, sometimes people have a cut uh, on their scalp and they'll get hair growing around the scar. Uh, two or three years ago, an old man uh, fell with his head in the fireplace and got a severe burn on his scalp and grew a whole head of hair <laughs> as a result of the injury, but uh, you don't want to rely on either injury or no, thyroid no. hormone. Okay, so people can make sure to be getting lots of calcium up to 2,000 milligrams a day. Of course, dairy is quite high in calcium, but also to bring in some herbs here, nettle tea is high in a lot of different minerals, and vitamin D is uh, freely available from the sunshine this time of year. <laughs> so what, what else, Dr. Pete, that, uh, would you recommend for male pattern? Oh, let's, not, let's, call, let's not call it that, just, just male, regular male hair loss. Well, vitamin A intake is another thing that right. helps hold down parathyroid hormone and right. adequate thyroid, and so you want to avoid everything that uh, suppresses thyroid function, such as uh, polyunsaturated fats. Right. All the vegetable oils and get plenty of coconut oil. Mm-hmm. And uh, vitamin A is the found vitamin in... vitamin A is found in liver, right? Liver so, and yeah. eggs. <coughs> and eggs, yeah. And there's beta carotene found in lots of vegetables, but that um, conversion process does rely on the liver, and if your thyroid is suboptimal, then that conversion process will probably not happen as ideally as um, you'd want it to. And in the last uh, couple of years, some people have found that topical thyroid hormone, the, the active T3 part of it, uh, applied to the skin stimulates regeneration and renewal. And uh, caffeine, which has some overlapping effects with thyroid hormone, uh, caffeine is now being added to lotions and ointments and such to uh, renew hair growth. And it's a very cheap uh, application. Uh, I think they still sell nodos. Uh, caffeine pills. I haven't seen them for years. Well, would coffee or tea work just as well if you if you made an infusion of that and then dap that on your head? I suppose. <laughs> you don't think so? I think we're talking about. I'm, yeah, I'm sure the caffeine would work, but it's it's a uh, cleaner. Yeah. To, uh, and then um, also you had mentioned you had mentioned to us earlier about making an oil rub for your head with um, natural progesterone, DHEA, and olive oil. Um, yeah. Uh, those are um, things that regenerate many skin functions, including hair growth. 
So okay. um, can uh, if you took a little bit of olive oil and 25 milligrams of DHEA and about 50 milligrams of natural progesterone, and you mix that all together, that'd last you for about a week? Um, yeah. Um, I've um, seen several people do it. it um, if you have some hair to start with, it's kind of a sticky, oily mess to <laughs> put it on your scalp every day. That's, that's why caffeine is a, a neater thing because you can't uh -huh. see it or smell it or feel it. Right, caffeine is uh, freely available as a pharmaceutical, correct? I, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. And what's the dosage for the caffeine? Yeah, what's the dosage for the caffeine? Oh, it, I don't think anyone has really worked that out, but um, it isn't terribly soluble in water, so uh, you can't... Uh, if, if, if you get too much, it itches. <laughs> and, uh, so it's just whatever is comfortable. Okay. All right. Well, we have a. I think we have a caller on the line anyway. So let's uh, let's take our first caller. You're on the air. Hi. Hi. You're on um, the air. So I guess my line would be: I'm not going bald. <laughs> I'm molting in preparation for my refreshed head of hair. <laughs> there you go. Huh? <laughs> Are you going to try this out? <clears throat> well, um, you know, that, I'm just wondering on that. You know, you've talked about estrogenics from plants, and mm -hmm. I'm wondering if in nature's balance there are testosteronics. Uh, in plants that would provide that point. And related to that, the yohimbe plant, then yohimbine, if that's a, a hormone or how it works, it's actually recognized as the only uh, aphrodisiac, mm -hmm. uh, yet the FDA says that it has no uh, applicable uses. Hence my uh, definition of the FDA, which I can't say on the air, but mm -hmm. uh, if you could address the Yohimbi and Yohimbine and if there are any, are any natural testosteronics which may be useful or avoided in certain situations. Thank you very much for the program. Okay, you're welcome. Well, Dr. Pete, do you, uh, do you have anything to, to share on this? Um, I don't know of any plants that have a testosterone-like action there could be some, but I've never run into either progesterone or testosterone uh, in a practical sense in, in plants. Uh, there are some chemicals that test like uh, progesterone in plants, but I've never seen an actual biological effect from them. Do you, do you think the, uh, uh, the, the mechanism of nettle root uh, on... But that's just lowering estrogen. Yeah, but it's not that, specifically. It's not specifically testosteronogenic, but um, I thought it had a yeah, maybe that's a blocking a blocking action. And sophometal, I mean that's similar one, to yeah. pregnenolone, but it's not. So I mean that would help with um, uh, men yeah, notice yeah. an increase in t their testosterone, but I think it's just because it's helping increase pregnenolone. Yeah, and pregnenolone blocks the stress hormones uh, uh, primarily. Uh, turning off excess cortisol production, but when you block the stress reaction, you um, also prevent overproduction of estrogens. So it it can uh, leave your own testosterone, testosterone unopposed. Do, do, do you have any experience with yohimbine, perhaps as a? Um, no, and I don't know much about it. Just I've read uh, many articles, but. I don't really understand it. Right. Okay. Because as much as I, I just the uh, it's an alkaloid that's um, 
supposedly the aphrodisiac portion. Anyway, we have another caller on the line, so let's let's take the caller. Actually, they wanted me to oh, okay. do the question, and, <laughs> okay. you know, I'll do it if it's simple, but uh, uh, if it's not simple, then, I mean, you're always going to have better success asking Dr. Pete yourself. But, so, we have a female ex-bulimic who got over bulimia about a year ago or so, and started experiencing hair loss as soon as she got over the bulimia and would like some nutritional suggestions, and there's another call, so i got to get to that. So, Dr. P, um, what's, your, what's your take on bulimia and uh, post-bulimic hair loss? I, I suspect it led to uh, hypothyroidism. Okay. Uh, there's, there's usually high prolactin and high serotonin during those appetite disturbances. Right. And uh, it uh, probably was starting uh, because of a hypothyroidism, but at a certain point, then your hair can start falling when when your thyroid is really low and the stress hormone's high. Right, right, because the stress hormones are definitely going to be high in that kind of yeah. situation. Yeah, okay. All right, well, I see the lights are flashing, so, okay, we don't need no... The engineer's shaking his head. <laughs> okay, so, all right. So, so far as uh, so far as the hair loss thing is concerned, I think one of those uh, suggestions uh, was DHEA um, and progesterone and or caffeine uh, as a USP uh, pharmaceutical-grade caffeine. Oh, he mentioned some caffeine pills. I've never heard of them. That you can buy at the drugstore? Okay. It was Nodo's brand. Nodo's, Nodo's brand, okay. <laughs> okay Nodo. They still sell them, do they? Okay, maybe not. All right, and then... Um, Aspirin is another thing that uh, has some anti-stress pro-hair action. Well, I'd like to spend some time talking about um, female unwanted female hair growth. Right, that's the other end. And female hair loss, because it's slightly different, but some of the same hormones. So, um, Dr. Pete, when women have a lot of uh, facial hair or mustache or even if it's on their chin or cheek uh, what what's going on there with their hormones um the androgens usually are up but um prolactin excess uh, the, the difference seems to be whether the prolactin is steadily high or whether it, it uh, surges uh, very high but uh, both Hirsutism and, and hair loss are associated with high prolactin. And uh, the um, thyroid supplement is a, a very reliable way to, to control prolactin in most women. Uh, vitamin A and uh, uh, calcium also help to uh, inhibit excess prolactin. And from a herbal point of view, Vitex is um, blocks prolactin, Vitex chase tree berry. And also um, progesterone would help with blocking some of those high androgens that are promoting the hair growth in women. Um, yeah, and, and the thyroid will, um, if you have enough cholesterol, the thyroid will um, increase your uh, progesterone, pregnenolone, and DHEA. Okay. How about, um, how about graying hair? You most commonly see that as a sign of aging, but not necessarily so, huh? Yeah, I've seen uh, DHEA uh, corrected uh, pretty quickly, but um, the enzyme that creates the melanin pigment uh, uses copper as a catalyst, 
and uh, the uh, probably the the uh, best food for increasing your copper while decreasing the iron which competes against the copper is uh, shellfish, uh, uh, shrimp, clam, uh, lobster, crab, squid. All of those have a high uh, copper content, not an excess of iron. And I think contrary to popular opinion about shellfish, they're actually lower on the food chain, so they're lower in heavy metals and other contaminants than fish are. And I just, from a personal note, since I started eating a serving of shellfish once a week uh, three years ago, I haven't noticed any new gray hairs starting. The same ones that had already started, unfortunately, when I was 30, are um, still there. (laughs) They haven't reversed, but I haven't noticed it continuing to spread. So it does work uh, making sure you get your copper intake balanced. And if in the form of shellfish, it's quite balanced. Iron accumulates with aging. Uh, If a person is going to eat foods that are uh, very high in iron, uh, such as meat or liver, uh, I think it's helpful in the long run to uh, have some coffee uh, right at the same time you're having the meat so that you don't absorb all of the iron. Iron is quite a damaging damaging, uh Ion it itself, isn't it? It's very uh, pro-inflammatory and oxidative. And yeah, uh, it attacks yeah, with the polyunsaturated fats, okay. and it tends to increase your serotonin. Now, that, isn't that you, you've mentioned uh, is it lipofuscin? Oh, um, yeah, um, it's um, formed um, by the oxidation chronically of uh, polyunsaturated fats. Um, interacting with iron and right. estrogen are the main... Uh, and estrogen. Yeah. Right. And are there, just for our vegetarian listeners, are there um, vegetables that are particularly high in copper or a vegetable source or... None that I know of. Right. What about any what, eggs? Do eggs have any copper in them? Uh, not enough to... To count? To count for... What about seaweed? Does it have any... Do you think seaweed would have any copper? I would, I would have thought so. Uh, yeah, but you would probably get a toxic amount of right. iodine if you were <laughs> going to eat that much seaweed. Lead and heavy metals and too much of that? Yeah, the, the seaweed isn't very discriminatory. On, on what what metals it picks up? Yeah. Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMED Garberville 91.1 FM. And uh, from now until the end of, show, end of the show, 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated to this month's subject of hair loss, hormones, uh, oxidation. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit uh, about um, osteoporosis, I think, is probably one of the next subjects we want to just open up. So uh, if you live outside the area, there's an 800 number, 800-568-3723, or if you live in the area, it's 923 3911 923-3911. So, I'm rushing there. I'm sorry. Yeah, so Dr. P, I'm just keen to ask you, Dr. P, about um, osteoporosis. I know we all hear about calcium and, um, you know, brittle bones and uh, postmenopausal women being at uh, risk of fracture. But what's, uh, what's your, what's your in- in- interpretation of uh, the cause of osteoporosis? It's um, my current interest in it is that it's a, a good way to um, 
conceive the uh, unified nature of, of aging processes um, because everyone's bones uh, get, get thinner with aging mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it corresponds pretty well to the loss of muscle tissue with aging right. and uh, generally it uh, corresponds to the calcification of soft tissues that shouldn't have calcium. Right. And uh, the um, excitatory processes uh, of uh, all of the um, inflammatory and uh, uh, nervous activity, muscle cramping and so on, all of these things are associated with the misapplication of, of uh, calcium, okay. failing to put it in the bones. And uh, all of that is under the control of energy metabolism. Uh, so something going wrong with your thyroid and oxidative metabolism, uh, the parathyroid uh, lactic acid producing kind of metabolism uh, tends to replace it and uh, cause the stress, atrophy, shrinking of the tissues. Right. Huh. So it's, a, it's um, more of an error of uh, calcium metabolism so in terms of correcting uh, some because I know you're very big on natural sources of calcium and the calcium recommendations that you've mentioned in the past may to some people perhaps uh, seem high but um, have certainly proven very useful for people with uh, conditions related to calcium uh, decrease so what kind of um, calcium in intake do you think is uh, as reasonable for people, especially those people approaching an age where, you know, 50 or whatever they're... Um, the Maasai people and other cattle-raising people in, in eastern Africa uh, often get 5,000 milligrams of calcium a day wow. uh, for a long period of time. Okay. And, uh, and this is all from milk? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, there's been a lot of publicity in the last few months about uh, calcium supplements uh, not being uh, very helpful. And uh, the most popular form of calcium supplement medically has been uh, either calcium gluconate or, or calcium, uh, uh, I guess uh, gluconate is probably the most popular. Or citrate. Uh, cit citrate, yeah. yeah. Uh, citric acid itself causes you to lose calcium in your urine. Uh, lactate is another uh, popular supplement. Uh, all of those have their uh, anti-calcification uh, effects, causing you to lose calcium or misplace it. Uh, and yeah. here they advertise that calcium citrate is the only absorbable form for menopausal women, and you're saying that it actually inhibits some of the absorption it, of the calcium? It um, activates the loss of calcium in the urine where uh, carbonate uh, it, uh, isn't quite as soluble if you don't have a lot of acid, but eventually all the way down your intestine it has a chance to absorb. So uh, it's a very uh, effective but safe uh, supplement um, because the carbonic, the, the, uh, uh, you know, the carbonic acid uh, the carbon dioxide is the form that uh, stimulates bone formation uh, rather than, than breaking down the, the bone.
And a really easy way to get an adequate level if you don't drink dairy or drink milk or eat cheese is to do eggshell powder for calcium carbonate. And um, like where a quart of milk has about 1,000 milligrams of calcium. Am I correct, Dr. Pete? Uh, yeah, 1,000 to 1,200. 1,000 to 1,200. And if you have a quarter teaspoon of finely ground eggshell powder, if you take that three times a day with your meals so that your acid level is adequate, that's providing around 2,000 milligrams of calcium. And that's a quarter teaspoon is smaller than most calcium pills you swallow. <laughs> And um, there have been chemical analyses of uh, comparing eggshells to other, to the commercial uh, calcium supplements, and they find that uh, the lowest concentration of toxic heavy metals is in eggshells. Uh, oyster shells are the next cleanest, but even they have slightly more of the toxic heavy metals. Because naturally, as mammals, we accumulate heavy metals and things we want out of our circulation in our bones and so if you're taking a calcium supplement that's from an animal's bones then you could essentially be poisoning yourself is this correct dr pete uh, yeah old cows are sometimes used to make the bone meal and uh, uh, their lead content is really high mm. okay all right so calcium in the form of eggshells is an excellent supplement for Combating osteoporosis for those for those people who don't want to drink milk yeah, because milk has the protein milk. and the sugar that helps with bone production as well as the calcium. And aspirin is uh, people seldom talk about it, but uh, yeah, go on. Aspirin improves uh, calcium retention in bones, and it it isn't as, as profitable as to sell as a, <laughs> right. an osteoporosis drug as uh, the bisphosphonates and such things, but it's uh, very safe as long as you take uh, vitamin K along with it. And vitamin K, it happens to be a, a pretty expensive vitamin, but it is uh, right at the center of the uh, regulation of calcium. It protects your arteries from calcification, and it uh, allows the bone to um, use carbon dioxide, it, it uh, carboxylates the uh, proteins uh, that uh, bind uh, calcium into the bone. So you're protecting your arteries and building your bones when you uh, have adequate vitamin K. And uh, uh, both aspirin and vitamin K are uh, known practical uh, bone building uh, supplements. Do, do you and have any recommendations for food sources for vitamin K? Uh, kale is the vegetable that's richest in it, I think, and uh, liver is a, a very rich source. Okay, so do, do you know, um, if, for example, how much kale uh, someone would use to get the equivalent vitamin K in order to be able to use aspirins safely? Oh, um, I, th I think um, every other day a serving of well-cooked kale uh, will give enough uh, vitamin K. Okay. But the, uh, the Japanese uh, have treated osteoporosis and hardening of the arteries with doses of vitamin K that were 500 times the normal wow. dietary requirement. Wow. 
Cause it's I, safe even at those high levels. Because I know you've mentioned um, vitamin K, a milligram of vitamin K is sufficient, which I know that uh, I think Thorn Research produced a vitamin K that is one milligram per drop, and that would be enough to use alongside one 325 gram, uh, milligram aspirin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So and the other thing, too, is nettle tea has um, vitamin K, besides the <laughs> minerals. Good, okay, because calcification of the arteries is fairly common. Uh, you hear about it quite a lot. And this is uh, then due to aberrant calcium metabolism. And actually to use calcium is not the problem. Because I know I hear people say, well, if I'm supposed to be doing something about my um, calcification, then I don't want to be consuming calcium. But it's actually counterintuitive because consuming adequate amounts of calcium will drive parathyroid hormone down. Is that and will deposit calcium in the correct location, not on the arterial wall. Yeah. Dr. Pete, you still there? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, Several years ago, um, several people noticed that, um, that people taking uh, psychoactive uh, drugs were getting osteoporosis, and uh, the um, SSRI antidepressants uh, mm -hmm. that supposedly increase your your serotonin, they don't reliably do that, but that's right. what they call them. Uh, they were, we're seeing osteoporosis develop in people who had been on those for several years, and that led to some rethinking of, of bone metabolism, and uh, they um, see that serotonin uh, produced and um, coming mostly out of the intestine, reaching the bones as a result of uh, inflammation in the intestine, for example, or from taking a drug that increases serotonin, uh, is interfering with bone metabolism and uh, causing early uh, quick development of osteoporosis. Huh. And so now a couple of groups are coming out with uh, drugs to um, suppress the synthesis of serotonin <laughs> to cure osteoporosis. Good. Excellent. Well, Dr. Pete, I'm going to have to have to cut you short there and just uh, make sure that people get your information in the next couple of minutes that we have left here. So thank you so much for joining us again. Really appreciate your time and your expertise. Okay, thank you. And thank you, listeners, for listening to our show. We appreciate your support. Okay, so Dr. Raymond Pete has a very good website with lots of uh, reference, published scientific articles and references for all the statements uh, that he makes. So the website address is uh, www raypeat.com so go there have a look at his website look at his uh, articles some very interesting articles and some lots of uh, perhaps counterintuitive for today uh, but that's a good thing because what we know today is not necessarily the right thing um, thank you for all those people that have tuned in to the show and uh, as usual next third Friday of next month we'll be back at uh, seven o'clock um we can be reached toll free on one eight 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 wbm herb for consultations or further information and thank you to all of you who listen regularly uh, and those who tuned in this evening uh, to those who have ears let them hear good night good night And support for KMUD comes in part from Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup, an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antioxidant medicine made without heat or ice. 
Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup is organic, edible, topical, cosmetic, and water-soluble. Information available at goldendragonmedicinalsyrup at gmail.com and by phone at 707-223-1569, soon to be tested for vitamin K. And we are Redwood Community Radio, KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM, KMUE Eureka Arcata, 88.3 FM, KLAI Laytonville, 90.3 FM, and FM Translator, K258BQ Shelter Cove, 99.5, and streaming live and archived on the web at kema.org. Thank you for listening. Get ready to get funked up with Cousin Mark. Please remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive.